We're going to pray for our time together now. But before um, I lead in prayer, we're going to read um, part of our main Bible reading. We've got a long reading today, so we're going to read the first chapter, Genesis uh, chapter 41. Um, I'm reading from the ESV and in the Church Bibles, and there are some at the back if you need one. You can find that on page 34. So let me read Genesis 41, which will introduce the theme of this morning's message, and then I'll pray. Genesis 41 says this. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of corn, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed on the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I'd never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, though they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, 
God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set out over all the land of Egypt. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name uh, Zaphenath. And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of Un, born them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There is famine in all lands, but in all the lands of Egypt there is bread. When all the lands of Egypt were famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess 
that we are created beings and therefore limited. We confess that we are also fallen human beings and therefore morally untrustworthy. And so there is no point in preferring the traditions of men because men are unreliable speakers. We thank and praise you that you, on the other hand, are the creator. That you know your creation, that you know yourself, and that your character is one of trustworthiness. We acknowledge that you own and rule over creation, and so you have the right to be heard. For this reason, we prefer your words to our own, because not only are you a reliable speaker, but you're also the legitimate speaker. We thank you how precious your revelation is because of who you are. We thank you how in the past you've spoken in many and various ways, but that now you've spoken by your son. Whilst your plan for the world was revealed in part in the past through your son, your plan for the world has now been fully published. As we consider this morning how you've spoken in the past, help us to understand this revelation in the light of the final revelation that you've given us by your Son. Please might we take full advantage of the complete revelation that we now have in order to know you as you've made yourself known, that we might live lives that are pleasing to you and bear fruit for the glory and honour of your name. Amen. We're going to have the rest of our main Bible reading now, so we're going to pick it up at Genesis chapter 42 um, all the way through to Genesis 45. So Genesis 42 verse 1 says this. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognised them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognised his brothers, but they did not recognise him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of a lamb that you have come to see. And they said, We your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. 
Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So the words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now here comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, son of one father, son of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. I leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in the sack, in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my grey hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judas said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother's brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, 
Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judas said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety, of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father said to their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, little balm and little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the money with you, carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they brought to, because they were, because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make our servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, O oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's hand and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the presents that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and then by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. 
And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with them. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And by this that he practices divination. You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, and they fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? We said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And then our father said, Go again, buy us a little food. We said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been born to pieces, torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my grey hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come, 
to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us. Then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the grey hairs on your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my brother if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. <clears throat> and he wept aloud, so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honour in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring your, my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers had come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and provision for his father on the journey. 
Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Well, do keep that text open. We're going to be um, having a think about that in the next few minutes. Just to say, there's an outline of where we're going in the service sheets, so do make use of that uh, as you see fit. And at the end, there will, as usual, be an opportunity for any questions or comments. I'll mention that now so you can be thinking or jotting things down as you go through. But before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who is truthful, good and sovereign. And we pray please now as your people that we would vindicate who you are in our response to your word. That we would listen to it, trust it and obey it. In Jesus' name, Amen. In some Christian traditions, the idea of receiving dreams and interpretations of dreams is something to be desired. Such dreams offer the promise of insight and guidance from God for our lives. For example, I heard of uh, one Christian uh, leader who had a vision of a sea creature whose tentacles represented the love of God for the area in which he was living and led him to planting a church in that area. Now, some of us will have encountered this kind of thing firsthand. For for others, it's only something we've only heard about secondhand. And I suspect that there'll be a range of responses in regard to a desire for dreams, at least in part shaped by our own church traditions. Some of us may tend to be quite nervous or dismissive, others intrigued. Still others, it may be something that we've not really thought about. How do we think about dreams? Should we expect them today? What role do they have in guidance? Now, the observant Bible reader may well prefer not to have dreams. After all, the first set of dreams that Joseph had almost got him killed by his brothers and resulted in him being sold into slavery. If we desire dreams then we probably don't want to have those kind of dreams. The dreams associated with Joseph aren't the only dreams in the Bible. For example, there are also dreams associated with Daniel. And to help us see what we've got with Joseph, we're going to begin by a little comparison between the dreams associated with Joseph in Genesis 41 and the dream associated with Daniel in Daniel chapter 2. 
Now, if you're not yet familiar with the dream in Daniel chapter 2, not to worry, because I'll fill you in with what you need to know as we make the comparison. Now, in terms of similarities, there are a number of striking similarities. Let me mention two. In each case, the dream is given to the leading superpower of the time. So in Genesis, the dream is given to Pharaoh of Egypt. In Daniel, the dream is given to Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Furthermore, in both cases, no one can be found to interpret the dream except an Israelite. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Although both Joseph and Daniel stress that it does not lie with them, but God who provides the interpretation. The contrast is also striking by virtue of how much more substantial the dream associated with Daniel is compared to Joseph. Joseph's dream concerns the next 14 years of his life. So there'd be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Daniel's dream concerned eternity, that there will be four human kingdoms that will come and go, and then a fifth kingdom will be established. And this fifth kingdom will bring the other four to their end. The fifth kingdom is not part of the succession of human kingdoms, but it's the one that's established by God and will last forever. Joseph's dream enables Pharaoh to make provision in the plenty for use in the famine. Daniel's dream provides encouragement to the exiles to endure persecution, knowing that it's limited, and to be committed to investing in the kingdom of God, because it is the only kingdom that lasts. You know, there are dreams, and there are dreams. And the dream associated with Daniel are on a different scale to those associated with Joseph. Now, this contrast is, I think, a helpful observation because there can be a tendency to think that Joseph knew more than he did. For the dream only tells him about the plenty and the famine. It's only much later in Genesis chapter 45 that Joseph discerns more of what is going on and God's purpose in it. So let's have a look at that now. Let's go through the chapters in our reading and I'll make a few observations of what we know of what Joseph knew when. So at the point when he provides the interpretation for Pharaoh, Joseph was in prison. The dream that he interpreted concerned the next 14 years, as we've seen. Seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. Now, the wise thing to do with that information, declared Joseph, was to use the seven years of plenty 
to store food for the seven years of famine. But at this point, this is all Joseph knew of the future. Pharaoh seemed to discern Joseph's wisdom and promotes him to head up the operation. And so Joseph goes about that business. He gets married. And before the year of famine came, he had two children, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it's in chapter 41, verses 50 to 52, that we're giving an interesting insight as to Joseph's mind at this time. Let's pick it up at 41, verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Atenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. On the occasion of having Manasseh, Joseph expressed how his birth helped him to forget his toil as a slave and his father's house. Now, the fact that he brings them to mind means that he's not really forgotten his family. But at the very least, Manasseh makes up for or helps him to forget the reality of the loss of his wider family. At this point, it is unknown to him that he's shortly to meet them again. A further insight into Joseph's mind is given in chapter 42, verse 9. Having recognised his brother, and they having not recognised him, we learn in 42, verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. Having forgotten his father's house, Joseph's encounter with his brothers brings all his memories flooding back. And he recalls that it was his telling of dreams to his brothers that had enraged them and led to him being sold as a slave back in Genesis 37. The dreams, therefore, reminded him of the hostility that existed between his brothers and him. And so what follows is this whole process of where he he puts on a tough front. And as the tension grows and grows, it comes to its climax in the scene with Benjamin, the, the new Joseph. Judah, rather than being willing to give him up as a slave, would say in chapter 44, verse 33, Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. And as a result, the brothers are reconciled. Now, it's only at this point that we learn of Joseph's insight. Chapter 45, verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves 
because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In other words, it would be a mistake to think that Joseph's dream was one in which the whole thing was mapped out for him. Because it wasn't. Of what there was to know, what was revealed to him at the beginning was actually relatively little. It was only later, looking back, that he discerned more of God's wider purpose in it. But even that was still a far cry from what was revealed to Daniel. And what we're observing here is the idea of progressive revelation. That as redemptive history unfolds, God is gradually making himself known. So that in later phases of redemptive history, more of God's revelation was known. I mean, it's no coincidence that the dreams associated with Daniel come after those associated with Joseph. Now, on the axis of revelation, Daniel is in a superior position because he lived in a later phase of redemptive history than Joseph. And this is one of the ways that we've been tracking through Genesis, and uh, particularly Genesis 12. For Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the promise of God is made. Now, the promise is of a peace with God's purpose for creation that we learnt in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But now that purpose is made explicit by means of promise. And from Genesis 12 onwards, the promise is never deviated from, but only ever added to, expounded. And as readers of the whole Old Testament, who can read generation after generation of Revelation, we can put together an ever-increasing richer picture of who God is and his purpose for the whole world. Now this is precisely the thing that Jesus puts together for us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Let me read. Matthew 11, 11. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now here Jesus is talking about John the Baptist. And according to Jesus, what gave John his greatness is his role, uniquely his, to serve as a messenger to announce the coming of Jesus. He is the one who went before the Lord, he prepared the way for the Lord God to come in the person of Jesus Christ. So in the flow of the argument, the reason why John the Baptist is so great was because he is the one 
whom it was given to announce Jesus. Now, there is a sense in which Abraham announced Jesus, or Isaiah announced Jesus, or David or Solomon announced Jesus. But none of them announced Jesus just the way John the Baptist did, saying, look, there is, there is the one. And as a result, Jesus says that John the Baptist is greater than Abraham. John the Baptist is greater than Isaiah. He's greater than King David. John is the greatest person born of women because in fulfilment of prophecy, he introduced me, says Jesus. But then, Jesus said the most astonishing thing. Matthew 11, 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now it must be the case that whatever criteria of greatness that's used in the first part of the verse must also be used in the second part of the verse. Otherwise the argument makes no sense. That is to say that those who are least in the kingdom of God must be greater than John on exactly the same scale that John is greater than everyone else who came before him. Okay? That is to say that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John in that, just as John pointed out Jesus with greater clarity and straightforwardness than all who came before him, so even the least in the kingdom of heaven points out Jesus with greater clarity and straightforwardness than even John himself. See, John the Baptist died. His death is described three chapters on in Matthew 14. So John the Baptist never saw Jesus go to the cross. John the Baptist never saw his resurrection He never heard of the Ascension and Pentecost. John the Baptist never put it all together. But the least in the kingdom of God, the least, if I can put it this way, if you've been a Christian for only 10 minutes, you at least know that Christ died on the cross for you and rose again. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist in that the least of us bears witness to Christ more clearly than he. We began by considering the desire for dreams and how we should think about this. And we've observed that whilst Joseph is associated with a number of dreams, they actually told him relatively little. Compared to the dreams associated with Daniel, the scale of the revelation was not as far-reaching. And whilst we might think that Joseph knew more than he did, it wasn't until he was reconciled to his brothers that he looked back and discerned God's providence and purpose in the events that had transpired. Now, this whole trajectory of revelation is summarised beautifully in the text of Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. 
says this, Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, the contrast here is not between God not speaking and God speaking. The contrast here is between God speaking in that way and God speaking in this way. In the Old Testament, God had spoken in many different forms and times and ways, including dreams. But in these last days, he has spoken to us finally in his Son. I say finally because the many times in many ways indicated God's partial revelation that he gave before the coming of his son. But now his son has come, we have God's complete revelation. God's plan is now fully published. What Joseph knew in part, what Daniel knew in more detail, we can now know in its fullness. To desire dreams now risks confusing where we are in redemptive history. Rather, instead, we can take full advantage of the complete revelation that is now available to us in God's Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to reflect on the dreams associated with Joseph. And we thank you that as we look back with him, we can see your provision um, for him in order that uh, he might be in such a position to preserve a remnant of Israel, the ones with your promise, and therefore that your promise would not die with them in this severe famine, but continue. But we also thank you to be able to reflect on the wider scope of your revelation. So as we see, there are other dreams in the Bible, not least with Daniel, but that shows us that there is this uh, ongoing revelation from you. And we thank you that we get to stand in the most superior position where your son has come and your plan is fully published. Pray please that we would be those who would be thankful uh, and take full advantage of this full revelation um, that we can know you fully and live lives uh, that advance uh, the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Okay, I mentioned earlier on that there was an opportunity for any questions or comments. That time has now come. you would like. Uh, Katie. Yes. Sorry, it's so warm in here, I'm just like, I'm forgetting people's names. Yes.
No, thanks, Katie. Let me just repeat the question for the recording. So several chapters are spent <coughs> exploring the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. And um, it's not until the end with Benjamin um, that he finally reveals himself. Um, kind of why, why, why so much time spent on time spent on that, that kind of thing. Yeah, so I think, I mean, one thing that's fascinating with the narrative is that you don't necessarily get known what all the motives are, like what's, you know, exactly what's going on, because Joseph doesn't, doesn't tell us everything. But I think there's a few things that we can, we can say. Um, now, one, one, related, one interesting question is, I'm not sure how much Joseph knows of what's going on. Like, I'm not sure he's mapped out those two chapters and thinking, this is my plan to get, um, basically, my family in Egypt so that in the position I'm in, I can care for them and that actually that's, that's significant uh, in God's purpose for us as, an, as a nation and the ones that have the promise. Um, and so, in many ways, I suspect that Joseph, because with the, with the dream he's got, the dream doesn't reveal God's purpose for him in Egypt. It just reveals the fact there's going to be famine and then plenty, and therefore that's a step in the direction of him being in the position to um, explain to Pharaoh and then be head and therefore provide for his family. But you know the bit where it says... Um, but I think we can say, um, you know the bit where it says in 42 verse 9, and Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he doesn't say, oh, and then he said, it's me, Joseph, I'm the one that had the dreams. It's then he, he then puts on this front to sort of challenge them. Now, it's interesting to think about what does he mean by 42 verse 9 because you could, you know the dreams were the ones where um, basically his family would bow down to him back in uh, an earlier chapter. Now it could be that Joseph thinks, oh do you remember the dreams I had? He remembers the dreams that my family are going to bow down to me, therefore I'm going to play the role of um, uh, the authority and I'm going to um, bring about the fulfillment of that so that my, my family come, all of them come, and so therefore the coming of Benjamin and the coming of Jacob, that completes that prophecy. But I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not convinced that's what's going on here. I wonder if it's more that Joseph remembers the dreams that he dreamed of them, and they were precisely the dreams that enraged them and then caused them to kill him and sell him into slavery. So, so I wonder if it's more likely that when Joseph meets the brothers, it's not clear what their intention is. I mean, in many ways, Joseph's got the superior position because he's, he's second to Pharaoh, so presumably he's not ultimately threatened by them. But I guess in revealing himself, at this point, I'm not sure he's 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 aware of their um, 
what their response is going to be. So it seems that in these chapters, I don't know what you felt, I and mean, it's quite an emotional, um, quite an emotional read, and it reminded me a little bit of, um, is it Luke 15 and the prodigal son? There is a sense in which the sons have, have sold Joseph into slavery, and they've rejected God's purpose for them, but actually Joseph, by means of this testing, is actually going to bring about this reconciliation. And I think you're dead right with the Benjamin thing. Uh, I think we could argue that Benjamin is a new Joseph, because do you remember Joseph and Benjamin are the two sons of, is it um, Rachel? Is that right, Rachel? And so they're the kind of the, the ones who are loved by Joseph because, you know, this family's fairly dysfunctional. And so the question is, with Benjamin, is, are they going to make the same mistake and sell Benjamin into slavery? In which case, the brothers haven't changed. And then, you know, wh- where does that leave um, Joseph? Whereas it, what does happen is, is that Judah steps in and he says, no, um, I will... Take me, I will stand in his place. And that, that, that seems to be the turning point where actually there is a repentance, there's a contrition with the brothers. Um, now, I suppose it's interesting that so much time is spent on it, and I guess that does draw the tension. And again, when we look back on it, we can see God's providence, so that at every stage, God is providing the next step that brings about the reconciliation. I suppose a wide observation is the reconciliation is important because this is going to be the nation that God's going to make great. So if you've got Joseph here and the other brothers here, actually God's purpose is that they would not only survive, and Joseph is the means that they're going to survive this famine, but actually that they would be, they would be reunited and be a nation. And as we'll see, this then leads to Jacob dying, but then he passes on the blessing to to the brothers, and then that continues. I don't know; it's a bit waffly. Does that that sort of okay? Okay, great. Um, anybody else? Susie. Okay, so for the recording, is the Pharaoh here? This, it, well, I'm going to ask you a question. Same as which Pharaoh? Or because we've. Uh, you, oh no, no, I'm saying we have a few. Do you have a particular one in mind? Are we thinking like Genesis 12, 12 when? Oh. Oh, yeah, no, they're different. Uh, okay. Uh, 
Okay, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's another one. To, I mean, yeah, interesting, like, yeah, there's no mention of that's kind of um, brought to mind. And it's funny because I also kind of thought, you know, when the brothers come and Joseph doesn't reveal himself to them initially, part of my mind was thinking, like, does he need to protect his own position? Because this family is a bit of a liability. And you just think, actually, Pharaoh's, I'm second only to Pharaoh. Um, things are going quite well for me. I've been fruitful. I now have a family of my own. Does this jeopardize them? So you've got that kind of question. But yeah, it's interesting. There's no mention of... Um, but, I mean, another thing... I mean, I haven't done this, but if you do a timeline, I think an awful lot of time is... You know, we just think of the events. But I think, you know, quite he's in prison for quite a while. And so it may just be that, you know, people have just forgotten... Um, which again is an interesting one because you think the affliction when he says he forgets my hardship when he has Manasseh you think actually he really did suffer for quite a long period um, and maybe that that's um, I mean, so the other thing I was going to mention I thought you were going to mention is that there is a there is um, and maybe this is as Providential mentioned it there was another famine in chapter 12 and they, there Abraham went to Egypt. And that was the one near where Pharaoh takes Sarah because he says Sarah's his sister and then he gets cursed and, and so on. And so there are other pharaohs. And it's interesting because I suppose that famine, the issue there doesn't seem as severe as the famine in seven years of famine, because I think the seven years of famine, I think we're thinking about a world humanitarian crisis, because the whole world goes to Joseph, so that's where I think you need the dream, because the dream provides the impetus to store up in the plenty um, it's also interesting to you, I think the Pharaoh question, because it, um, what's it called, um, how Exodus starts because there, if I remember, Pharaoh dies and then there's another pharaoh who doesn't remember any of this stuff. And that's then where Israel is no longer enjoys the blessing, but actually they are cursed um, by the Egyptians. But then, of course, we're thinking, hang on, if the Egyptians are going to curse Israel, that's not going to... Because if you, if you dishonour Abraham and his people, then God will curse you. And that therefore leads to the plagues and then the exodus. So I think that whole question of every generation, memories, different pharaohs, remember, I think it is, it is an interesting one because, you know, they only know what they know at that particular generation. It goes back to this progressive revelation because we come into it with everything. It's just like these characters are only only there for a bit and only know, only know their experiences as is relevant to them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because you just, you just, if you weren't there, you haven't got that memory, so therefore you have to be told and explained. Yeah. Time for more, Mackie. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a really, really interesting observation. So just for recording the parallel in, with Joseph and Daniel, another similarity Mackie's um, shared is the fact that in interpreting the dream, both Joseph and Daniel come to positions of significant authority in that, in, you know, in that either in Egypt or in uh, Babylon. And you know, does that serve a similar purpose? Yeah, it'd be good to, good to think more about that. I mean, the thing with Joseph I, it seems slightly more um, pressing is the fact you've got this famine, and it's a severe famine. And we think we'll probably think about this more next week. But the whole, you know, because you're some of, if you've been regulars here, you'll be so familiar with this. I didn't want to do it again as a whole sermon, but basically, this famine threatens the promise because if there's no food, Israel die promise dies with them you know where does that leave the promises of God so just as we've had barrenness we've had we've had little, little famines we've had a uh, lack of um, a, um, a wife you know basically all uh, Genesis has loads of issues um, which threaten the promise and therefore the provision that we see is significant not least because it provides for that promise to stay alive and therefore God's purposes to come about. Now, Daniel, it's interesting that the situation is a little bit different because there's no famine there. But if you remember, Daniel is in exile. And interestingly, they've been told they're going to be in exile for 70 years. Is that right? And so... What they're to do is basically bed down, basically you know, build houses, have families, you know, don't don't try and go back to Jerusalem, don't don't fight it. You're under the judgment of God. You need to live as God's people in exile until the 70 years are complete. And I think when you get to Daniel 9, you see Daniel's Daniel's been watching the calendar and he's thinking 70 years are about to end, Lord. You said that we would be here for 70 years. That's happened. Now bring us back. You know, so in other words, just as you've kept your word of judgment, now keep your word of promise to bring us back. And so I don't know to what extent in terms of Daniel, and his friends as well, isn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that their positions of power and authority presumably would have contributed to the exiles um, being preserved in the remnant because they weren't to fight the Babylonians. Um, they were to, to live among them and be faithful to God, knowing that the Babylonians are going to come and go and they're going to come and go and come and go. And then eventually, it's an interesting one because it starts off with Daniel in the way that his life's described. The length of it is 
basically bigger than any kingdom. So like Daniel transcends Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and so on. So yeah, so, so maybe we could say that the dream also provides for Daniel and others to be in positions of authority in the human kingdom. And, and that's an advantage because if you've got to live among them, you know, you, 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 I mean, it doesn't always go well, does it? Because there's points where they become hostile with Daniel because they want them to do more and not be faithful to God. And there Daniel draws the line. But um, I think we could think of that, again, as God's providence that he provides for his people. Part of that provision is this, um, the positions that he puts us in. Cool. Okay, it's, uh, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks, guys. And um, do continue to think about things um, a bit later. Consider these uh, words of Jesus from John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. It's here that Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And the point of Jesus calling his disciples his friends is to make a contrast for calling them servants. Well, what's the difference between being a friend and a servant? Well, it's not obedience, because both Jesus' servants and Jesus' friends obey. Rather, it is revelation. The friend knows his master's business in a way that the servant doesn't. The slave is simply told by his master what to do, whereas the friend is taken into the master's confidence and is informed of his master's plans and so obeys with a sense of privilege and understanding. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus calling his disciples his friends in no way diminishes his right to command them. The point is that they obey, not blindly, but knowingly. Well, what's triggered this change from servant to friend is that Jesus is going to depart from them. The change that's going to take place, the change that is going to take place is precisely because Jesus is going to the Father. For when he returns to the Father, he will send the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to them God's plan in its fullness. He will reveal to them the Gospel. In other words, the disciples will enter that final phase of salvation history where they will know the mind of God. They'll be more informed, more privileged, more comprehending than any believer who ever came before. And it's that apostolic witness that's been entrusted to us. What a position to be in, to bear fruit 
before our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you do not call us uh, merely servants, but friends. Because we serve you, not blindly, but knowingly. Please would you help us to take full advantage of the fullness of the revelation that we have in your Son. We pray, and not least, that we would seek the advance of your gospel here in Bradford. We thank you for the opportunity we have to do that in two weeks. And we pray with this and um, all the other areas of our lives that the knowledge that we have of you will bear much fruit and glory to your name. Amen.